My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. Khalil Gibran. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thrilled to be here to gab about body image, breast cancer, the women's marches, and more. First, I'm so pleased to welcome my dear friend Elle back to the show, author of The Fall, which is one of the most unique and lyrical thrillers I have ever read. Thank you for being here, Elle. How are you? Thank you. I'm I'm wonderful. Can you hear me okay? I hear you great. Yes, you sound fantastic. Perfect. perfect. Lyrical. I have to use that. I've not used that adjective to describe my novel <laughs> yet, but now I can borrow it from you. <laughs> it fits. Seriously, you could like sing it. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so for anybody who hasn't heard your story or read your story in Embraceable, heard our chats, which I hope they will go back and listen to, could you just give us a, a kind of brief recap, which is like kind of difficult to do, but about your breast cancer journey, kind of in short, what have you gone through? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, hmm. so 30, 35 was a pivotal age for me. Um, it was a year where I had just started uh, dating a wonderful guy and I had family on the mind and I had just relocated to the South and um and everything was just going so very well. And then I, I ended up uh, buying a condo and two months later um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And so it, it shocked me on, you know, every level, spiritual, financial, moral, um, trying to figure out, you know, what, how much to, to listen to your gut versus what doctors are telling you. And, and the long and short of it was that they, they did find a lump. Um, they ran every test. It didn't seem to have spread. That was great did surgery, um, and then did several rounds of chemotherapy and, uh, was intended to start, uh, an estrogen based therapy, um, after some of the healing took place. And then it, it came back again, almost a year to the week from my first diagnosis. Um, and that was, um, you know, from a, from a storytelling, uh, vantage point, um, that was, an interesting sort of denouement where I I had I had maintained this level of optimism and warrior kind of outlook and it was so deflating um, and especially after everything my body had been through it was that that second round um, of of treatment that uh, that I started recognizing sort of seeped into all aspects of my life um, we are now a year outside of that, so it's been about about two years total. Um, everything looks good. Still no no sight of it having spread. Just that strange anomaly of it coming back, kind of where it was. Um, and and the journey the past year has definitely been a lot less uh, dealing with the idea that I have cancer and more um, going from a place where I I was subjected to very harsh treatments and kind of trying to find my way back to. Um, a very self-actualized place. Uh, you mentioned Embraceable, and I, I did do a, an essay for that, and I actually wrote it the night before my my first surgery. 
about the the relationship I'd always had with my breasts and the fact that I was losing them and, and just sort of stream of consciousness, tongue in cheek a bit. Um, hey, this sucks. So here's what I think about it. <laughs> yes. And it was so there was a rawness to it that I so appreciate. It really felt like we were going through the experience with you. And it's really one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you in today because I received a question from a listener who wants to re- remain completely anonymous, but she basically said she she loves how other people embrace their bodies after surgeries and such, and she sees beauty in their changed bodies, but she can't seem to deal with. She said she can't actually stand her own. She has other scars already, and she's about to have a double mastectomy and is afraid the transformation of her boobs will leave her more self-conscious than ever. As somebody who's been through that, and I know that, you know, we also both share some eating disorder background history, you know, there's this whole journey that so many of us go through and and going through breast cancer throws this whole new thing into the equation. So tell us kind of how the diagnosis affected how you felt about your own body. Goodness. So there are a thousand thoughts in my head (laughs) um, that I I want to um, try and sift through so that this makes sense. Your timing is really interesting too. Just as a sidebar, I was in Orlando last night, uh, last minute work thing, um, exhausted, and I'm changing, getting ready for bed, and I kind of look over at, at that horrible fluorescent lighting hotel mirror, and, I, and I'm naked, and I'm standing there, and I had this moment where I, I looked at myself, and I'm 37 years old. I've been, you know, starving myself and, and, you know, internally beating myself up for as long as I can remember for not being perfect enough, you know, and I looked at myself. I'm 37. I've got, you know, new breasts, but they're definitely fake. And I'm certainly not in my twenties anymore. But I, I realized I was like, you know what? I look exactly like I always wanted to look right now. This is exactly what I was always going for. And the, the great irony is now I'm, I have butt envy on girls. It's something I've never had. (laughs) I'm, I'm suddenly less concerned about thigh gap and, and more wondering if my butt looks good in my jeans. And, and it just, I, I was suddenly reminded of, how dynamic our sense of beauty is too, not just for others, but of ourselves. Even when we do get to whatever that place is where we don't think we're self-conscious, that doesn't mean we're going to stay there necessarily because our, our tastes are going to change and, um, and the, the climate around us and what's considered beautiful is going to change. And so, you know, it's, there's, there's never a, there's nothing static about it, but anyway, my, my diagnosis, you know, my diagnosis didn't really affect much, I always loved my breasts. It was like the one thing I didn't think I had to worry about. Um, so I, I didn't see a personal benefit in the surgery. I know for some women that's sort of a silver lining. It wasn't that case for me. Um, and what I wrestled with was the sensation. It, it was as much sensation as it was looks, but but an equal amount of both. And I was lucky enough to be able to do a nipple sparing surgery. Not Not all women are able to do that. And I've seen some beautiful you know, tattooed nipples or tattooed designs. And and I've seen very beautiful um, breast remakes that don't have nipples, but, um, but it was, it it was important to me and I was able to save them. And, and that's, uh, that means I kind of look down and and they're kind of familiar, but they, they just don't move. And once I kind of get out of my head about it, I have since the surgery been able to find a place where, uh, I'm appreciative. I'm really appreciative 
Uh, and not in a way we're like, we have to convince ourselves we're appreciative, but really we hate something. Cause I think a lot of times we just tell ourselves that we're going to be good and you don't believe it, but you tell yourself until you believe it, you fake it until you make it. it. It's an actual genuine, yes, the surgery saved my life, but also, you know, th- these, I- I've got this beautiful sculpted piece of artwork that is going to be extraordinarily durable. Um, and apparently is also geotagged. So I'm really? I'm easy. I'm easy to find. <laughs> is there an app that tracks? Yeah, you know, a lot of it is, and it's a daily perspective thing. Yeah. I, I can start to get really upset about it and think about it or see an old picture. But at the end of the day, if I, I start thinking about it, like the artwork that it actually is, um, it, it makes me feel a little bit like a, a work of art. I love that. And I, I really appreciate what you said about body image and our, how we perceive ourselves being very dynamic. And I think so often we we think we're moving towards something like we we still have this goal, whether it's we want a better butt or we want to be thinner or smaller boobs or bigger boobs or less cellulite, whatever. And a lot of times in my experience, it's kind of this moving finish line where you don't actually you get there. And like you said, it's it's not what you thought it was. And so I think sometimes when there's sort of this fixation. So for this person, for example, uh, scars that she already can't stand that that to me brings up, you know, I wonder if there's something deeper underlying. Have you ever experienced something like that where you are nitpicking at something about your body and maybe something deeper is going on? I, yeah, I do. I think what's well, funny in, in the fall, I have a line that says the deepest scars tell the greatest stories. And I even uh, turned that into vinyl. I have it on my wall. Because it's, it's, to me, a testament of what true inner strength feels like. And we don't always have it in all things. But when you can find those moments where you do look at scars as the, the warrior uh, that you were through something, um, then those are great moments. But I, I think that you're right. I think a lot of times um, if you're looking at a scar and the story associated with it, um, create some, a, a viscerally negative, uh, sentiment or, or you just have this really negative association, then of course you're never going to, it's going to be hard to embrace that. And you're never going to do it without doing a little bit of personal work. Yeah. Um, therapy is fantastic. <laughs> it is. Therapy. Amen. Yes. I'm a fan. I'm a therapy fan. Therapy is great. Writing is great. Vision boarding is great. Mm-hmm. I think all of these things, anything that gets you to, to focus on yourself and help, help yourself heal yourself. Um, I, I love any of those tools. So I, I know I would venture to say I've got a lot of scars. I've got one from when I fell off my bike as a kid, my dad put a bandaid over what should have been stitched up. And it's one of my favorite stories, you know, and I've got another one from falling out of a tree and these don't bother me, but but the ones that I look at that my body sort of retains this somatic energy or this somatic negativity, um, then it's yeah, I think that's that's harder that's harder to embrace and uh, and I think you're right. You might it's maybe less about the scars and more about the memory. Yeah, I think that happens frequently, and I think it's also really sad and unfortunate that there's so much pressure on anybody, all of us, to have this sort of like egg-like skin, you know, to not have any exactly. sort of, it's less interesting. And it's so funny because I remember after I, I had my appendix burst when I was 20 and shortly oh after, um, I was modeling at the time, not when it burst, but that was my career path at the time. And my agent's first words to me in 
my Miami agent, the first thing he said to me when he heard was, did you tell them you're a model? He was so freaked out about me having, because I have a scar. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I have the line, and I have little dots from even the staples left a scar. And interestingly, it didn't, and it doesn't bother me. Um, I think because I do, it's the narrative I have with it for myself is this saved my life. Like, you know, it was a close call and, and I'm okay and that's awesome. And um, But they were so upset. And that, I think also sometimes rebelling and going like, you know what, I'm really pissed off that the world tells me or there's these societal norms supposedly that are unrealistic because I really think we all have scars. Absolutely, I- internal and external. And I think, and it's particularly difficult when it's on a place that people use to determine beautiful. If it's on your face, right? Or if it's on your uh, décolletage, or if it's, you know, somewhere that's very obvious and out there, um, you do. It takes, it, it, it often will take a strength. Some people come about it fairly quickly and naturally, and for others, it's a battle. You know, I've always... Having having models enacted in Los Angeles and and being a late bloomer where I, I was not very attractive, um, and then suddenly at about sixteen, seemed that script seemed to flip a bit. And uh, but by then I was I had so personified you know um, the the funny one, the clever one, and I was certainly not that pretty one. And and so I never wore it really comfortably. Um, I think that probably actually worked to my benefit. Uh, <laughs> I, I would not undo that. Um, but it, it was interesting to stand on the other side, um, and, and, you know, be able to model and act and do things like that and, and see how, you know, you could not be too skinny when, when you and I were modeling, I know we've talked about that. And then I remember going to, uh, you know, I lived overseas and I went to Trinidad and Tobago and it was, you know, you could not be that their bodies, the, the Island girls there had these bombastic bodies and could dance like I had never seen. And. It's a very, you know, social and fun island and there's constantly parties and dancing and and, and a completely different concept of, of beauty for the most part. And and then now we're in the Kim Kardashian, you know, butt implants kind of, of thing. You know, we were, I was talking about that with a friend and, and we actually know somebody who just received those implants that I don't even think were possible um, when you and I were coming up, but but they certainly wouldn't have been very popular if they were. Um, and this has all been within my lifetime and I'm not even 40. Yeah. Uh, I remember going to Egypt and the girls trying to bleach their skin while all of the girls back at home were out in the sun destroying their skin. It's like, you know, no, nobody's happy until you're just happy. And, and I, I think that goes back to what you were saying about it's easier to find beauty in yourself if you're at a place of contentment or you've made peace with anything in the past that might have caused a scar. But if you haven't made that peace, then, then you're, that, that grass is greener thing, I think, is always going to be um, a little bit of that devil on your shoulder. That is so true. So true. And I, and I think, I know, and it, it sounds a bit cliche, but really, when you are feeling, and happy could mean fulfilled, you know, it doesn't necessarily, like, you don't have to be smiley all the time. But I do think that when we are living with some sort of curiosity or passion, that we exude this radiance and I see it so much in other people. And I think for me too, distraction, when I when I have been in those dark places of self-criticism, distracting myself with something that I can get kind of latch onto and gives me a sense of purpose, you know, something I feel like I'm mm-hmm. making a difference, whether it's writing about something or speaking or volunteering. And so I, has passion played a role in your um, journey and healing? Absolutely. And 
if I'm being honest, which I always am with you. <laughs> Thank you. So I feel like I always have these soul bearing moments. You're like my Oprah <laughs> or my Diane Sawyer. Where I just I, I find myself saying things I probably wouldn't admit to my neighbors. Um, but you know, my uh, having gotten into a relationship after having been single for a very long time, and then of course being in an abusive relationship, which was the um, the motivation for writing the fall to begin with. Um, you know, I had done all that healing. I, I, I still feel quite healed from that, being able to give it over to a, a narrative with, with characters that I can speak about, um, that aren't me. I don't suffer from those memories anymore. Um, it, it's interesting because this new relationship, and there's been very, very little dating in between, I think, relatively speaking, um, you know, it's a, it's a completely different kind of guy, a great guy that I've got, um, everything I vision boarded <laughs> before I moved here to Charlotte and we started dating a couple months after I got here. And, and it's interesting because I've, I've never been jealous, the, the jealous type, and I've never been, um, I don't know. I think I just, I saw that it got nowhere fast to constantly compare yourself to other women. Um, so I, I don't have a history of doing that really, but I can also see that in the course of my treatment, the way without any change of his behavior, um, the way that I reacted to my boyfriend changed. Um, I, I would find myself being nervous or snappy really based on jealousy. It was a, it was a, it, there were these signs that I was becoming that girl that I had never understood, like how that's self-defeating. Why would, why, why would you constantly ask where someone is or, or constantly worry that they're going to leave you? That's probably a bad relationship. And, and, and now I, I realize it, it, you know, sometimes it does have to do with the other person, but, but in this particular case, I had a, a loving, wonderful man and I just could not get out of my head that I was less than I had been before. And that is mm. really how I felt, but I, I never could really see it. So I think subconsciously it just, it, it played itself out in, in this sort of demon girlfriend kind of approach. And I've been doing, and it rattled us and, and he's still a big part of my life, but for, you know, we, we separated for a while and he moved out. And, and even to this day, I, I have to catch myself a little bit and say, are you falling back into that script? And does this have anything to do with, um, with the fact that you've taken such physical and spiritual hits over the past two years? It, it goes back to, and I know we've talked about it a lot. You know, when you when you when you are filled with love and you feel complete, you have so much to give, right? You're you're constantly seeking to give, and that is the thing that refuels you. And you just have this really benevolent cycle. But if you feel less than, you constantly feel like you need energy from people and you're, you're dependent upon other things to get you to that, that place where you feel fulfilled. And I'm admittedly still in that place. Um, it won't last forever. I can yeah. see it, you know, and, and I work on it. But I think you got to allow that, that sure, you're going to take some hits and you got to be forgiving with yourself. But keep an eye on your relationships with others and make sure you're not throwing something away just because you are, you know, in a self-destruct mode or yeah. you're feeling badly about yourself. These things can can heal themselves. Completely. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's really powerful to hear as well that you can do all this work and be in a really strong place for so many reasons and sometimes that's when the these very natural things, I mean, to go through anything difficult or traumatic, we're going to 
be affected by it. And I think mm-hmm. it can be really hard when we've been that person of like, I don't get jealous. I'm not insecure. I'm I'm strong. And then yeah, to exactly. have to like talk I'm about it. Girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the worst. And to, to, and to know because we know. We know we can't yeah. run from it. So it's like you either – have to like dive in to the gross, scary, icky place of this part of you you don't want to be, or you don't move forward. And getting through yeah. that's tough. It is. It is. And I've actually, you know, I've, I wanted to write a second novel about cancer and I was going to do it during chemo. I thought, I don't know. I thought that, that had an interesting ring to it, but there is no way because there is such thing as chemo brain and nobody wants it. Um, you don't want to write a novel while you're on it. So, you know, I've kind of waited for everything to fall fall back in place, or at least that's kind of how I've interpreted it It might go. Um, but, you know, that's that's you're always changing and evolving. And, and I think, you know, it's interesting because when I feel these things, I keep telling myself, like, maybe this is where, where your next story is. I, I say that to myself, which is, so many women for so many reasons feel this, you know, again, it's the classic storyline of you get knocked down by something, Mm -hmm. um, something in life. And and especially when you think you've got it all figured out. I mean, how many times in life do we think, think we've got it. And then, and then something just knocks you completely over. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, I've been trying to, to figure out whether or not it's, is it, is it a journey about cancer, which is certainly its own story and, and it will definitely drive it. But yeah, I think it's also looking at yourself going, oh God, I'm that girl, whatever that girl is to you. You know, it's that, it's yeah. that, oh God, life has, life is doing something to me instead of me doing something for my life and with my life. And how do I, how do I regain control of that? Yes, that is so powerful. Absolutely. And it's it's very interesting what you said about, um, you know, asking yourself, is this where the story is? Because I think I think when you're a proactive person, too, even when you're in the darkness of it, there's part of you that's like searching for like, there's going to have to be good meaning in this. And if there's not, damn it, I'm putting it there. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm i going to turn these lemons into like lemon pies and um, and then have a, be able to look back on it eventually and be like, okay, I guess I'm glad that happened, but <laughs> it takes a while to right. get there. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And you, you know, I, I think, I think all, all women, well, we all have this, you know, fierce warrior inside us. And it may have gotten fed or it may not have at at different points, but there's definitely, I mean, we are, we are so self-critical and we are taught at an early age to be somewhat competitive. So unlike guys, uh, and this is of course a sweeping generality, uh, and not true in all cases, but, but guys have this inherent camaraderie. It is, it is fostered by society, you bro out, you got your guy time, your dude, your man cave, you know, things are, thing, that's just sort of how it is. And we are, for some reason, um, we find ourselves competing against each other more often than, than we're really supporting each other. And I feel like it starts before high school. High school showed a lot of that to me personally. Um, but coming out of this, I think, you know, there's always, if you are having a hard time finding that warrior inside you, it's it's really really um, important to immediately, other than your you know family and friends and children and whomever your your you know closest circle your tribe is, look for women specifically whose story you admire, 
Um, just be observant to the women who carry themselves in a way that you want to start to befriend these people, start to ask questions, um, go to the groups, you know, cancer of course has, has a whole subculture associated with it. Um, the sorority you never want to be a part of, but it's, it's, uh, it is, it's a, there's a huge camaraderie. Um, and I think that, you know, we can change the narrative, at any point, but when you start thinking about your scars and you start thinking, you know, back to the, the original question and this sense of self-consciousness because of a, an imperfection, when we've all got them and we've all got a ton of them, um, I think when you start to surround yourself with strong women who look at themselves through a really healthy lens, it becomes a whole lot easier. Um, and you're not just being told how to do it, or you're not reading a how-to book, you're watching it in real life and you can pick up the cues and you you start to see it. So you are who you hang around with, you know? It's so true. I think that sort of like that femme power relationship is so needed. I think we our, our chemistry changes, you know, when we're, we're supporting each other. It's a really, really powerful thing. And I think you're right. It's interesting how I feel like when things, when shit hits the fan and Again, this is generalizing, but society has told um, guys that there's something wrong that they can fix and have taught women, by and large, that there's, we, we learn there's something wrong with us and we kind of internalize right. it. And I think to be around people who do – and it's interesting because as you move forward, then you meet people who are more on that wavelength too. And it's a beautiful thing to grow. And ha- have your own relationships changed throughout this um, – like your friendships changed through your journey? Yeah, I, I would say they have. I've um, – it's been unique for me because I'm on the road a lot and because when, you know, you're, you're awfully sick with, with cancer. And so it's, it's hard to dive into a social repertoire necessarily. Um, and I'm just starting to, to come out of it. Um, but yes, I have, I have definitely, uh, and it kind of happens organically. I think there are those friends of yours that you just sense really do care. And, and those friends that sort of come out of the woodwork sometimes, but, their stories are so compelling that you you uh, your friendship is either enhanced or even built on um, this this new aspect of your life. And isn't that what Facebook's so great for? I mean, I, there's <laughs> yeah. there's one girl I'm thinking of in particular, and we didn't necessarily get along in high school, to be honest. But we're technically friends on Facebook. Um, but when I was going through my journey, she had a very personal journey that had happened to her, and uh, I actually saw her not that long ago and got to meet meet her family. Um, and it was just, it was, it was one of those moments where you never, you really never know what role someone's going to play in your life, but you need to keep your eyes open as to whether or not it's a healthy one. And that too will be dynamic. Yes. Um, those who were good for you at one point, when you go through something, they may not know what to do with that. They may not be the people that they may not be your tribe in this particular situation. And then, you know, may, maybe you turn to them a little more in the future or may, maybe it falls away. Um, but yeah, you need to be pretty diligent, I think, about making sure that the you get a good good vibe from the people you're around, and that the the information and the dialogue is healthy. Not too much poor me, pity. Not too much anger. Th- those people who help you see this as a challenge, but that life is still beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much again, Elle, for your beautiful insight for who you are. Everyone, race out and check out LTheAuthor.com. Thanks again, Elle. We're going to be cheering you on everywhere. Oh, well, thank you. Always a pleasure to be on. I always listen to you. And uh, this has been an honor.
such a fantastic human being. I hope that was helpful for anyone out there who is struggling in similar ways. I think so many of us can relate to whether it's physical scars or just those quote unquote flaws, those quirks that we struggle to embrace. I also asked our resident sex and relationships expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, who is very experienced in helping people through intimacy and self-esteem issues uh, related to breast cancer, what she would say to someone who's feeling a deep sense of loss after a mastectomy. As always, a wonderful question. Um, you know, I think that uh, anytime a woman gets diagnosed with breast cancer, there's just so many emotions that she goes through at the time of diagnosis, going through treatment, and really in that place of, um, you know, recovery. And I think it's really important for women to know that, you know, we often talk about post-traumatic stress, but we've really learned from breast cancer survivors that there is really uh, post-traumatic growth. and. You know, I think that embracing your body and recognizing the warrior that you are and that the scar that you might have um, on your breast following a mastectomy um, and, and the reconstruction and just the changes to sensation, to your experience, you know, it's, it, it's got its challenges for sure and I'm in no way minimizing it. We need to feel what we're feeling. But at the same time, in my experience as a sex therapist, um, you know, it becomes sort of that wake-up call to move beyond what you've already known about what gives you pleasure in your body and to really explore new turn-ons. Um, and so I think, you know, if you can embrace these changes as symbolic of your strength and your survival and uh, how courageous you are, and you, you know, open your mind to what's possible and you really just take your time. Resuming intimacy uh, post-treatment is something that takes time. Even energy and fatigue from chemo you know, can last upwards of two years. So the part I really want you to focus on for any of you who are um, ever gone, going through breast cancer treatment or your survivor, you know, keep your eye on sort of the end of uh, the tunnel and know that the light does open up and you know, really allow yourself that opportunity to step into it with um, the ability to embrace your body as well as all the sensations that you already know and can feel and the ones you've yet to discover. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Everyone, check her out at greatlifegreatsex.com. I love what she said about recognizing the warrior you are. I think that's really huge. And it's possible, I think, to change those narratives uh, that we have about something negative about ourselves. And, you know, as I have often said and, and said recently, even last week in my chat with Dr. Sheila Lawanzen, you know, it's those quirky things about ourselves that we get self-conscious about that a lot of times turn out to be something really powerful and beautiful that someone in the world might need. You know, somebody might need the embracement, the story that you have, the whatever it is that you're feeling low on. So I so appreciate that, Dr. Megan. We have another question for her for this week that is a follow-up from a listener. This is from Becky, who wrote this. Hi again. Thank you for answering my question before. It really helped, especially what Dr. Megan said about not feeling like I had to spill it all out at once. So for you all, um, your reference. Basically, what happened was she wrote in saying that um, she was a rape survivor and was feeling very triggered by the election. And she had this newish boyfriend and she didn't know if she should tell him what was going on. So Dr. Megan guided her to kind of take those small steps. And apparently it's going 
Well, she also wrote this. She's not having any more night sweats, but she is still having some trouble. Her boyfriend's been great about things, um, but she's having a lot of anxiety. She said, whenever I see political stuff on the news or online, which I have to see because of my job, I feel helpless. I want to make a difference. Our sex life is okay. We are taking it slow. I just want to feel happier again, and I feel guilty for not being a more fun person to be with. Thank you so much for this important question, Becky. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Becky, um, thanks so much for uh, following up with us and um, glad to hear that the night sweats have stopped and, you know, sort of want to take you to the next level and give you some more tips. So I'm hearing you say that you still have anxiety, um, understandably hearing the political stuff, but it's not just in the news or online because I think it's important to recognize we have control of how much media we expose ourselves to as well as what time of day we expose ourselves to it. Um, but it sounds like you get to see it because of your job. So, you know, I think it's um, that helpless feeling that you're feeling, you know, it's to recognize that, um, you know, in this world there are things we can control and there are things that we cannot. And so to the part of you that wants to make a difference, um, you know, there's so many volunteer opportunities for you to absolutely make a difference in the lives of individuals and in communities at large, both here and abroad. Um, and I think when it comes to anxiety, it's to recognize that, you know, it wants two things. It wants certainty and comfort. And, you know, life is full of uncertainty. And I think that's one of the hardest things that we often experience. Um, and so I guess I want you to think about that there is value to exposure um, and to recognizing, you know, in a sense, compartmentalize that you know when you go into your work that you might get exposure to you know images or print or media and ideas and um, what's happening in the world in a way that understandably have feelings about and can be very disturbing but that it's time limited and, um, it, and it really is that opportunity to empower yourself to in all the ways that you can um, show up with your own integrity your own ideas and your beliefs and realize there is a difference you can make in the world and in terms of your sex life you know, um, I love the fact that you're taking it slow because, and that your partner's supportive of that. Um, because that's teaching your body, I can relax, I can let go. And again, relaxation is the foundation of arousal. And, you know, again, this part of you that's feeling guilty for not being a more fun person right now, listen, my sense is that's something you're putting on yourself that's not coming from your boyfriend. And, you know, I think the more that you keep it a topic of conversation in a proactive way, saying, um, I appreciate your patience and are taking it slow and at the same time I want you to know I'm looking forward to uh, being you know more adventurous and having more levity and, and you know sort of being lighter and I know that that's gonna happen it's just gonna take some time so I think that as long as you keep it as part of the conversation and realize where you are right now isn't where you're gonna end up or where you want to be and you hold that vision um, and while you're taking it slow, do the exploration of things that do feel good in your bodies. Um, I know you're going to get there. So, you know, I really appreciate the update and um, would love to hear, uh, you know, in a, in a few months how, how things are going. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love that. I love what she said about, you know, finding opportunities or creating opportunities to make a positive difference. I really think that when we can get passionate about something, it doesn't have to be, you know, our one true purpose in life, although if that happens, that's great. Uh, but having a, a cause, whether it's, you know, you went through sexual trauma, maybe it's 
um, working with people who've been through that, or maybe it's writing letters to uh, officials, maybe it's making phone calls, maybe it's attending rallies or marches, or there's so many different things that, that we can all do, and it is really empowering. And then also what she said about keeping it in conversation, just as I was talking about with Elle, it, it's kind of the sucky part of stuff that's hard is that the harder things are, the more you have to talk about it. And it sounds like your your guys being supportive. And I, I bet Dr. Megan's right. I'm sure, um, you know, that, again, we tend to feel so much more shame about ourselves. And I think sometimes we think that everyone else is feeling the same way. So I hope you are able to see, again, that warrior of who you are. I'm so grateful that you reached out. I know that your question will help a lot of people. Speaking of making a difference, who all of you attended a Women's March last week? Talk about making history, right? Like the largest protest ever (laughs) and peaceful and global and It was such an incredible experience. I attended the Pasadena Women's Rally, which drew around 700 people. And I have to say, it was such a beautiful contrast to the day before when that certain guy was inaugurated. It it was storms and rainbows, literally and figuratively, in the Los Angeles area. And it is more important than ever to raise our voices and cultivate positive change. That was true before any of this happened. And... It's even more true now with the theme at the rally I attended, when they go low, we go local. I think that's so powerful because it it really does instill a sense of, you know, we can make a difference in our own community and the effects of that reach really, really far. And knowing that events were happening all around the world and there was just a sense of solidarity. And I hope if you weren't able to attend one that you were still able to participate in other ways, whether it was you know, watching along online or um, participating in in other kind of uplifting events, because I think right now is just such an important time of self-care and also proactivity. So with that in mind, I wanted to share a few highlights from the rally I attended for anyone who perhaps couldn't attend one or just to get some extra inspiration. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? I stood right up front soaking in every word of the phenomenal speakers, including the very brave and poignant Gabriela Villegas, a day one youth advocate, and get this, a high school senior. Revocation of Obamacare without a proper alternative. Without a proper alternative, families and friends being deported, Muslim registry, sexual harassment, harassment in general, discrimination of LGBTQ, financial aid, increase in racism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, conformity towards bigotry and hate crime, defunding of autistic programs, repealing the DREAM Act, financial aid, environmental issues, defunding of Planned Parenthood, coat hanger abortions, hate crimes, nuclear warfare, refugees, misogyny, all things people are worried about now. In gloom we watched inauguration, peers holding back tears and others letting out all their emotions. Nervousness and fear is what I experience. I am not alone. We are dreading what will come, fearful of family members not being able to get the proper medical attention they need, fearful of not being given affordable health care we need. Will my autistic brother receive the proper attention he needs? Will your neighbor be able to afford his chemotherapy? I am afraid. The help one significant organization, Planned Parenthood, is being harassed and defunded. People, including myself, go to Planned Parenthood to protect themselves from diseases, get contraception, and more. 
I go to Planned Parenthood for the simple reason of confidentiality and affordability. We are now fearful of how we afford and acquire methods of protection. How can we prevent ourselves from getting to the point of alleged murder without even having the proper resources? Will we have to resort to coat hangers? I am concerned. Congresswoman Judy Chu took the stage to talk about standing up for civil rights. Yesterday, I was invited to Trump's inauguration. <laughs> yes, as a Congress member, we are expected to go there and witness the peaceful transition of power. But after I heard what Trump said about John Lewis, our civil rights icon who nearly got killed standing up for voting rights, and that he insulted him during Martin Luther King weekend, I said, I refuse to go to this inauguration. You know, I had so many supporters that said, right on. And in fact, I got over 5,000 retweets. But I also had attackers. Yeah, and it, those attackers said, get on with it. Unite the country. Stand up for this unity. And you know what I said? I said, Trump has denigrated women, immigrants, Muslims, golf star parents, and, and now a civil rights icon. Why, does it, why doesn't he unify the country? I tell you, we have a job to do. We have a president who wants to repeal the Affordable Care Act. We have a president who wants to deport two million immigrants in the first 100 days. We have a president who wants to appoint a Supreme Court justice who will overturn Roe versus Wade. We have a president who wants to defund Planned Parenthood. Are we gonna let this happen? You know, even on Monday when I returned back to Washington, D.C., the first thing that the Republicans are putting on the floor is the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act. And I can tell you, I'm going to be the first one there to fight this bill. But for the first time in eight years, we will actually have a president who will sign that bill. And that's why we've all got to come together. We've all got to work together and raise our voices. We need to make sure that our voice is louder, is stronger, and we'll work harder to make sure that we take back this country. 
And Sherry Bonner, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Pasadena and San Gabriel Valley, spoke about the fight the organization is currently in, which she said they will fight within an inch of their lives to win. Oh, dear. You know, I have to tell you, I was um, I was almost late getting here. You know, you've seen all over social media that we're going back 300 years, and I had to double park my horse in the back. <laughs> well... What you all know and what I know is that extreme politicians are trying to defund Planned Parenthood. This is not what Americans want. These extreme politicians want to deny millions of people access to cancer screenings, birth control, STD testing, HIV testing, the basic health care that we count on. Every poll shows that Americans overwhelmingly support Planned Parenthood and support the work that we do. Did you know that almost 50% of Trump supporters support Planned Parenthood and oppose these attacks? Half of them, does he know that? That's right. Crowd participation is great here. <laughs> she went on to talk about ways obstructing Planned Parenthood would affect California immensely, basically, like all states, I'm sure, and called what's happening because of the new administration the biggest fight Planned Parenthood has ever had. That fight is so, so big because, well, for many reasons, particularly considering who it hurts the most, right? Who blocking Planned Parenthood and all these wonderful services hurts? Because initially, it's going to hurt the people who are most marginalized, the fastest, the most deeply, including LGBTQ folks and people of color and people uh, with low incomes who are already struggling more than those with greater privilege. For many of our patients, we are the only healthcare provider they see. If we are defunded, Mark my words, we will see an increase in cancer deaths, unintended pregnancies, STDs, and HIVs. We won't stand for this, will we? One in five women has been to a Planned Parenthood health center. This is a disaster for our country. This is the biggest fight Planned Parenthood has ever had. And we need to protect Planned Parenthood and access to reproductive health care. I left the rally even more determined to do all that I can and, and also more hopeful that we can make a difference and inspired by these wonderful people who truly are. Yes, we can. Seriously, we can. We have to. For ideas on ways you can keep the action going from the Women's March, visit womensmarch.com and check out their 100 Days of Action. I'd also love to hear from you. What steps are you taking to have a positive impact? Drop me a note or a question for myself or Dr. Megan by visiting my website, augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. And if you haven't yet, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes and leave a review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.